0: let's get started. Uh, first service, I think I did this sermon in like 20 minutes. I don't think I'm going to do it this time. I'm a, I get nervous, to get fast. I don't really know why, but it is what happens. So uh, let me tell you about a story uh, that I once uh, read that Billy Graham told. The story is about a police officer in northern uh, England who was working the night shift. And as he's working the night shift, uh, he hears crying. So he takes his flashlight, looks down an alleyway, and sees a little boy sitting on a stair, on some stairs, weeping, sobbing, has no idea what, where he is. And so the cop comes up to him and goes, hey, what's wrong? He goes, I'm lost and I have no idea how to get home. Cop's like, wow, well, I can help you find that. Where, where do you live? Little boy was so distraught, he couldn't remember even his address. So he starts naming, the police officer starts naming streets uh, where the local Chick-fil-A is, uh, where all the good things that everybody knows, all right? Little boy has no idea. So he sits there and looks at him. Cop looking over the city going, okay, what do I do now? Sees a big white cross standing above the city. And he points and he says, what about that? Do you know where that, do you live anywhere near that? Little boy says, yes, sir. I know exactly where that is. Take me to the cross and I can find my way home. Today, that illustration may apply to us in a whole different manner. Many of us over the last year, have felt tired, scared, and afraid. The world around us is in a chaotic spin. We have just gone through a century pandemic of which it shut down everything. Add to that, we've had some of the most contentious political environment that most in this room have never even seen. People are on edge. All the while, we have racial tensions continue to strive and continue to fight and feel like they're at a cusp of of exploding. Add to that, we have a sexual revolution that continues to work itself out in society in ways that we can only not, we can't even imagine. It would be fair to say that a lot has been grabbing at our hearts and our minds, wouldn't it? But if we just look to Jesus, just like that little boy, just look to Jesus We can follow and find our way. So this has been our aim as a church. In the last couple sermon series, we have delivered and and preached to you. In the midst of the crazy, we've been pointing you to Christ. We've looked at Jesus, the real, the reigning, and the risen King in order to get your eyes off of the distractions and on to the King. As the King of Kings, Jesus rules supreme and sovereignly unflinching in the midst of this chaos, we only need to look to him to follow in his way. Today, we are going to stop and pause on our series of Revelation. We'll pick it back up, Lord willing, in the fall. But we're going to continue looking at the king. But not just looking in admiration or adoration, but in hopes of spiritual formation. In a dying world, and that is what this is, a fallen dying world. They keep trying to tell us, what is the way to human flourishing? They keep trying to tell us this is the way to human flourishing, but we are going to spend the next two summers looking at the way of Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. So my question to you today is that what does it mean to follow Jesus, to take on Jesus' heart and to live as citizens in his kingdom? There's arguably no greater text in Scripture to place our minds on other than chapters 5 through 7 in the Gospel of Matthew. These three chapters, coined the Sermon on the Mount by Augustine, Jesus delivers the greatest sermon ever preached. And as you will see in the following weeks, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus sits down, addresses both the inwards and the outward motives, inward motives and outward conduct, he instructs and gives promises to those who are committed to following him and willing to endure persecution for his namesake. As we begin our new series, The Way, I want to focus your attention today on three things that will set us up for this series. The need for Jesus' sermon, the purpose of the sermon, and the problem of the sermon. So we're just going to look at two short texts in this, this actual uh, sermon. So today, we're going to look at Matthew 5, verses 1 through 2. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, that's Jesus, his disciples came to him and opened his mouth and taught them, saying, so following Jesus' baptism and his overcoming of Satan's temptation in the wilderness, Jesus begins his earthly three-year ministry. This is what this is recording. He calls his disciples, makes his way through all of Galilee, teaching, preaching, proclaiming, and healing. Chapter four tells us that his fame is so viral throughout all of Syria and that great crowds followed him from Galilee, from the Decapolis, from Jerusalem, from Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. My man literally had some followers, okay? This is an important context. I need you to understand here to the sermon because right here in this text, you have an audience of both the disciples and of the multitudes together. You have both the called and the crowd. You have the committed and the curious. Both are looking for access and answers. Jesus has an audience. They're pressing in. The inner circle of this audience is his disciples. And the outer circle of the crowds. The text clearly says, though, in verse 1 and 2, that Jesus sat down and taught his disciples. But I want you to look at the end of this sermon. Matthew 7, verses 28 through 29. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teachings for he was teaching as one who had authority and not as the scribes. So even though Jesus' sermon is primarily, specifically for his disciples, it's also clear the crowds are listening. So I want you to know something as a principle here at LifePoint. Our sermons model this same principle. Primarily the sermon is created for the church. For the disciples of Christ, and it's for the purpose of you being fed, being encouraged. But like here in the text, we also pray that the crowds here too. And here's the reason why: because we know that from Scripture, that preaching of the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit has the power to awaken unbelievers to the truth and the beauty of Christ. Amen. As Jesus saw the crowds, he didn't just see the sick and the poor and the physically oppressed. He saw a culture of brokenness and confusion. The crowd was looking for a handout, not for holiness. They were looking for joy in what they could receive from Jesus, a miracle, a sign. They were looking for deliverance from present oppression and trials. They believed that the way to happiness was through some spiritual relief, not spiritual renewal. Many were relationally and financially and spiritually broken. And as Jesus saw the crowds, He saw a people looking for the answers to their deepest desires. Let me ask you this question. Today, what do you think Jesus sees as he looks into our culture and into our church? The crowd of the world today doesn't look so different from this, does it? Although it's a couple thousand years removed, the crowds are still looking for political messiahs and how social justice and what they can get is going to make their lives better. Confusion still hangs over our culture from sexuality to gender identity. But there's not just a need and a word for the culture. There's also a need, a great need, for those in the church to hear the words of Jesus. Although God has promised the gates of hell will not prevail against the big C church, he never said it won't prevail against churches who falter. Today, the church in the West and around the world is at a crossroads between conformity or commitment, between the way of nominalism in the way of historical, biblical Christianity. Instead of disciples shaped by the world and known distinctly by their countercultural life. Unfortunately, many in the church don't look or act any different than the crowd. This is why the Sermon on the Mount is so critical, so timely, and so needed for us today. Many have lost the essence of what it means to follow Jesus and live as citizens of his kingdom. So how do we get back? Jesus sits down in Matthew 5 addressing the disciples in front of the crowds to show them the way. You see, from the beginning, God chose His people to be different. And I think one of the greatest weaknesses of much of Christian culture today is that it seems and seeks to gain influence and become attractive by looking as close to the world as possible. But the church was not called to conform. We were called to be holy and distinct. There's a major theme in the Old Testament the purpose of this sermon. I want you to look at, Matthew, uh, at Leviticus 18, verses 1 through 4. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt, you where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan, to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. As you follow the narrative of Israel in the Old Testament and look at the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament and the epistles, you will see that the people of God were never called to be relevant to the culture. Instead, the call of God's people throughout the ages. His word is to be distinct and relevant, not relevant. Many in the church lean so far over the rail of holiness that they fall into the crowds, therefore looking just like them and offering them nothing. See, seeking to be relevant, they sideline holiness and blend where they were meant to shine. Church, we cannot look like the world with just a sprinkle of Jesus on us. As disciples, as your sending pastor in a missional way, we try to overcome any unnecessary alienating differences that cut us off from unbelievers. In fact, we should find ways we could hang out with unbelievers. But all the while, while we do that, we should keep a vigilant watch over our hearts to ensure that we are following Christ, that we are following in his holiness. You see, what the world needs most is not a political hero or a stimulus check, a vaccination, or anything else. What our communities, our culture, and our kids need more than ever is to see the people of the way, the church, actually walking in the way of Jesus in both grace and in truth. The purpose of this sermon is that we would be a holy people who would love Jesus, who become like Jesus and do what Jesus did. So let's look at the text again. It says, when he sat down, this is Jesus, his disciples came to him. He opened up his mouth and taught them. The text says that Jesus sat down. That's what rabbis would do as they taught their disciples. And the, disciples, the rabbis had, had two things of the day. They had a yoke and they had their disciples. And in an agricultural society, a yoke was a common tool for strapping animals together to carry the weight of a plow or a wagon. In the Jewish community, a rabbi's yoke was the way of understanding and applying God's law. It was the way of navigating life and shouldering the weight of it all. So when a rabbi sat down, his disciples would gather around him, just like we see here. They would lean into his teachings and then would come under his yoke. But what makes Jesus unique is not that he had a yoke, but his yoke was easy. Let me read to you Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all who are labored and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, that day when Jesus was sharing what his yoke was, you had the disciples, and then you had all of these people around, and some of those people were the Pharisees, some of those people were the scribes. And what Jesus just told them was, it's not moralism. It's not about outward change. It's about an inward heart. It's not about what can you do, but what does God do in you? He was dropping bombs on those guys. You see, they had taught Moses' law and drawn lines where God had not. The legalism and the moralism was a heavy weight on those who would come underneath it. But as Jesus sits down, he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And then he describes a kingdom people here in the first couple of chapters of Matthew 5 through 7. He describes a kingdom people who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who live with a constant awareness of mission church, who strive for holiness, no, though they fall short, who make peace, who kill their sin, who understand that marriage is about the gospel. It's not about us. Only steward their wealth for the glory of God. He talks about the ones who turn away violence and love their enemies. As Jesus teaches, he shows the audience then and us today a very different way of seeing the world. But that's the point. We have new citizenship in a perfect kingdom with a perfect king. Amen. Jesus' sermon points out how his disciples are to live out kingdom life in a dying, fallen world. But here is the problem of Jesus' sermon. You can't do it. You cannot do what he lists in there. That is not on your own. In fact, you cannot live out what he lays out unless you bow before the one who preached it. Jesus' sermon is not a checkbox of this is what it looks like for me to be right with God. Instead, it's the way of those who are in Christ. His sermon doesn't describe the character and ethic of the religious, but instead it describes the life of the redeemed. It's not for the few. It's the life of the forgiven. The problem of the Sermon on the Mount actually drives us to the power of any sermon of anyone who has ever preached the word of God, The gospel. You see, the gospel doesn't just change one's eternal destination. It also changes one's heart, mind, and life as the Holy Spirit works. Through the work of the power of the Holy Spirit, it begins to transform us first on the inside and then on the outside. But the gospel can't transform you if it hasn't saved you. Do you believe that you're a sinner who's rebelled against the Holy God? That Jesus sent as God the perfect sacrifice to absorb God's wrath against your sin? Do you believe that Jesus rose again on the third day after being killed and that 40 days later that he ascended and sits at the right hand of the father? Do you believe that his righteousness is what makes you right with a holy and perfect right God, not anything you did or anything you ever will do? If not, you're not a disciple. You're in the crowd. Today, I invite you to turn to the king of kings. You see, without seeing Jesus rightly as king, we cannot walk in his way or in his kingdom. As we pause for a moment just to think about that, Ben, why don't you come back up? So without Jesus' work completed on the cross and his calling of dead men to life, we can't apply this series to our lives. We cannot live distinctly. So what group do you belong to today? Are you the crowd looking for a handout, blessing or benefit? Or are you a disciple looking to Jesus as Lord, seeking to follow in his way? No matter where you are today, church, and the crowd who may be in here, I want you to look to the cross. Why don't you bow your heads with me for a second? Jesus, God, we praise you for the work you have done and those who have called upon your name. For those who believe, who are following you. God, I I pray right now that you would strengthen the ones that are in this room today that that are your people that God, you would continue to raise up your church and that they would continue to see your face so clearly. God, we know we are imperfect people, that we are there's nothing in us outside of the work of the Holy Spirit that can help us do anything like you have called us here today to do. God, I pray that you would make us, that you would make us a faithful people Holy Spirit, would you move in our hearts today for the ones who have already proclaimed your name, God, would you give them great peace and would they feel your presence today as they worship you? And God, for the ones who have not called upon your name, God, would you place right now, would you place the hope that you have given those who are in your name, that they may call upon your name for the glory and the praise of your name throughout the nations. Jesus, we love you, we praise you. Let us worship together, amen.